Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Rita. (laughs) Hello, beloved listeners. This is Rita. And this is Zoe. And we are back once again. This time, we swear it will be a one-episode topic. (laughs) We always think it's going to be one episode, and then it ends up being, wow, we get done and go, my gosh, that's four episodes. (laughs) But this one's it's one book, and we've got this. Right. And the book we're doing today, as you can tell from the title, is The Life and Times of Archie and Mehitable by Don Marquis. And this is, I would be so interested to know if people, how many of our listeners are familiar with this book, uh, if any of them have read it, because it seems to me that nobody seems to know about it anymore. And uh, Archie and Mehitable, oh, first of all, guys, I want to let you know, you may hear some crinkling during this podcast, and that is because I have uh, got a version of this book at a library sale, and it's from like the 1950s, I think, and it's got a paper um, dust jacket, and it's wrapped with cellophane. Here, listen. We all know that sound, right? Just for a nice ASMR experience. Yeah. You can pretend you're sitting with us. You can smell the sort of must of the book. Yeah. The book doesn't smell musty, though. Oh. That's nice. Uh, But anyway, so when you hear that crinkling, it means that one of us is handling and opening the book uh, for, uh, we'll read you some quotes and so forth. Anyway, just wanted to give you a little warning. Also wanted to shout out to our friends Pete and Lois, who took us to the library sale where we bought this book. Yes. Thanks, Pete and Lois. Thank you, Pete and Lois. Lovely, lovely people. And uh, okay, so anyway, Archie and Hittable, uh, I guess we should say what it is first. It is a collection of newspaper columns written by a man named Don Marquis, and that's M-A-R-Q-U-I-S, if you want to look it up. It's a great name. I know, Don. Yeah, it's his real name, too. Yeah. And uh, he wrote these columns from 1916 to 1933, so quite a, quite a few of them. Let's see, this book uh, has, uh, like, wow. Uh, 477 pages and Zoe and I I read these aloud to Zoe every single page yes every single word (laughs) we did you know uh, a handful of poems every week for a few months yeah exactly and as Zoe just said these uh, columns were in the form of I don't know is it free verse poetry or is it prose I think it's supposed to be I think it's like it's poetry I mean free verse poetry plus some doggerel and some rhyming and some with meter, but mostly it's free verse poetry. But it reads more like, um, it reads like prose to me, but it's very difficult to follow because it has no punctuation and no capitalization. But it's not because it's a style like E.E. Um, e. Cummins was, right? This book, these columns were actually written by a cockroach. See, Don Marquis had a typewriter in his office and one day he left a piece of paper stuck in it and this cockroach named Archie jumped on top of it and he would jump from the top of the typewriter head first down to each key and press the key down and that is how he actually typed all of these columns for Don Marquis. <laughs> right, and they started to be published in the newspaper. I think at one point Archie says that it takes him about 12 to 15 hours of work for each column. Yeah, so he works all night long, obviously from the time that the office closes t- till the morning, and using that carriage return, because if any of you know the old manual typewriters, which is what he would have been using, you know, it re- actually required some, some muscle work because you had to, you know, move the carriage and everything, especially for a little cockroach like Archie. And uh, so anyway, uh, this was a great boon to Don Marquis because in real life, Don Marquis 
for a lot of his life was very as a drunkard he drank a lot and he didn't like to work apparently i have a quote here from eb white and eb white is the guy who wrote the foreword in the edition we have and if uh, that's ringing a bell to you that's because he was the author of charlotte's web the great american classic and so, uh, and so he's a great writer. He wrote a lovely foreword that I actually enjoyed <laughs> reading, which I usually skip the forewords. That's the, the thread of the um, talking animals throughout. The oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's why. There you go. Yeah, talking in, well, spiders aren't insects, but non, non-mammals or whatever you want, creepy crawlies, whatever. Yeah, good point. And so um, anyway, E.B. Wright, White wrote the uh, forward, and it just gives kind of a little bit of a sense of Don Marquis, and I, he may have known him quite possibly, and he says a mark of Marquis, but it could also be said of Archie, I think. He was impatient of hard work and humdrum restrictions, yet expression was the need of his soul. So Marquis was a like a true poet, I guess, a real artist in his soul is what I'm picking up from this, but he had to do the humdrum daily grind of turning out a column every day, probably at least five days a week, I would imagine, every day all those years. And so he hit upon this great a little conceit <laughs> of the cockroach writing this free verse poetry so he could make the margins really fat. And if you look at it, sometimes there's just a really thin column of text going down the middle of the page. And it isn't I don't know what, what word you would use for it, but the sentences don't end at the end of, the, the, since there's no period, the sentences wrap around. And enjambment. So, enjambment. Oh, enjambment. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. favorite word. I love enjambment. So the lines are enjammed, which basically means they're broken off at random or intentional places in the middle of a sentence that it does not follow a natural line break. Right. So it makes it very hard to read aloud as well as difficult to read just silently to yourself because you're going, because you're reading along and then you'll hit words and you don't know if they go with the thought before or the thought after. And sometimes you have to look at it a couple of times to, to understand how it breaks up and what they're actually saying. So, so yeah, as we'll be reading to you, we'll probably be struggling and you won't hear a lot of it because I'll edit it, but <laughs> yeah, but we will read you some choice or terse selections as they would say. <laughs> so anyway, Marquis wrote these and to begin with, they were quite delightful, very fresh. And then by the end, I mean, this was a long time that he wrote these columns, they became pretty repetitive. He kept recycling the same ideas and the same uh, themes and this, even the same language. And so by the end, they were we were kind of like going, okay, we're going to finish this. But the end of the book was not that fantastic. Yeah, we got a lot of delight out of it, but it's not like the, there's a qu- consistent amount of quality all the way through. Yeah, but I think if you're going to read this, you definitely get it. And, you know, you'll start reading and you'll know, you know, how far you want to go. But I would say even the first third, even the first half of the book was really fresh to me and I enjoyed it a lot. And just the, the a repetition began to seep in later. So you, you can still get this book and enjoy it a great deal. The way I found out about this book, which is why I snapped it up at the library sale, and I probably have mentioned this before, when I was a kid in grade school in the 1960s, they had those scholastic, flimsy little paper pamphlets that they pass out to kids. I think it was once a year, but it might have been twice a year, where you could order books, you'd check it off, and books were like paperbacks, and they were like 25 cents, 35 cents. An expensive book was 50 cents. Wow. 
and so I would check them off. And I'm, you know, and I used to mow the lawn to earn money. And so even when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I had some money actually. And so I would check off these books and what I wanted. And I always had like a stack that was two times higher than anybody else. You'd <laughs> get a few <laughs> books. And I had like ten books, you know, and I had this big <laughs> arm load. And probably I spent all of like five dollars and I probably got ten, you know, not no more than that. I probably spent all of 250 and got 10 books or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, Archie Amahittable, it had a cartoon picture and I don't know. I wanted every single book that they had, unless it was about sports. And so I probably just said, I'm going to get that too. So I picked it up and when I was reading it, I probably, I was in grade school, I know, maybe 10, 11. I mean, I can't believe I read this thing and remembered it because it was so surreal and weird. And I remember being a little bit discomfited by the... Uh, it's not kids' material, despite the fact that it's talking animals. It totally is not. <laughs> I'm sure it was an edited version. It was, you know, not the complete works, for, certainly. Uh, but they probably thought it was animals, and so it was kind of cute. I mean, anything that was questionable would, would not have been included in the book. I'm sure they're very careful of that. But just the themes and the idea of it was so weird and surreal. And But it always stuck with me. Always <laughs> stuck with me. Uh, this cockroach who's typing at night in the dark when everybody's gone home and the, he comes in and finds these uh, columns written for him you know, it's sort of almost like Cinderella or something you know <laughs> and the other main character that repeats the most in throughout the book is Mahitable the cat and we do adore Mahitable now unlike uh, Archie who's a poet but also kind of a drudge because he turns churns these out Mahitable she's your gay. She's full of life, yeah. Always, always a lady. Her <laughs> okay. motto is always happy, always gay. And she says that she is the reincarnation. Yeah, so that's the conceit is that yeah. um, Archie the Cockroach, he, by transmigration of the soul, used to be a verse Libra poet, free verse poet, who was uh, reincarnated as a cockroach. Right. And, and Mahitable's soul was um, transmigrated from Cleopatra, as well as other of course. queens and ladies in the past. And she's a bohemian. She's an alley cat. Alley cat. Um, she's really quite a modern woman in that sense. She has many, many lovers and no maternal instincts, even though she claims that she has many maternal instincts. <laughs> <laughs> she has some funny things about kittens that are like, whoa, what, these kittens. They it's go a, missing. They go and... missing, you know, too bad. <laughs> She's terrible, uh, but she's uh, she and she's delightful, and she's uh, she can she can hold her own, and by the end of the book, she only she only has three legs that are really working, and the other one yeah she, <laughs> yeah, she, she like loses a leg no yeah. she didn't lose it but I, I think it got crippled or something she can't walk on it it's like really weird <laughs> yeah the the content of these poems is very eclectic because they really shift around from like a funny story here to like. A bit of political commentary. A that rant, political rants, actually, I think. Yeah, don't you think? totally. Uh, to, to, like, weird transcendental shit. Oh, yeah. Like, where he's going off in some surreal universe where monks are, like, skiing down mountains and stuff. Yeah, all kinds of really strange, strange things. He really yeah. let his fancy fly. <laughs> E.B. White calls this book, or calls the, the columns, uh, or the book, actually, since he did the foreword. He said, it is funny, it is wise, it is tender, and it is tough. That's nice. Yeah. What a nice thing to say. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I don't know. I think E.B. White must have been a nice man. I, I hope he was. 
I mean, he wrote a heart-tugging Well, you book. know, that doesn't mean anything, as we've learned, unfortunately. But <laughs> apparently he did a, an audio book of it, and even and he couldn't he couldn't not cry when Charlotte dies. Aww. Aww. <laughs> so I hope he was a nice man. Anyway, E.B. White also says, Archie was the child of compulsion, the stern compulsion of journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> well, I think he's right, because I think Don Marquis was probably just desperately trying to figure out something to fill those column inches. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so I think it, that's what he meant. And so uh, it worked. It worked quite well, especially at the beginning. And I love the dedication. I think the dedication to the book um, really sets the tone for what it's like because it is also free verse poetry, kind of, I think. And he dedicates it. It's got no capitals. And it goes dot, dot, dot to Babs with Babs knows what and Babs knows why. That's really cute. That's good. That's really good. I'd love to have somebody dedicate something to me like that. That's awesome. And so uh, Marquis was born Donald Robert Perry Marquis in 1878, and he uh, passed away in 1937. So he was not real old. He was in his 50s, I guess, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. And he was an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, he was not, not a well man. Which also comes through in the in the text of the yeah there's column. a lot there's yeah a lot there's a lot of drinking, drinking in this uh well and on top of that he um I, I can really understand i mean i don't know what his he had you know he had kind of a hard scrabble life in a certain way and that he he quit school when he was 16 i think it was maybe not so much it became hard scrabble because it sounds like he was the kind of person who didn't fit in he was he just didn't easily fit into society and what you know was expected and so journalism actually at that time was great for him because it was kind of like in the movies in the in the 1930s movies where they were kind of tough guys and running around you know, and chewing cigars and drinking hard and yeah exactly and so he quit when uh, when he was 16 school and he ended up getting jobs on various newspapers oh it, I mean it's really sad though I can understand why he became an alcoholic he had two children with his first wife both children predeceased him his first wife predeceased him he married again and his second wife predeceased him wow and he's not even old i mean it's not like he's 90 you know and you go well okay i just outlived him yeah so all these young people around him died that was really sad so i can understand why he was a sad guy and anyway archie and mahitable were both born in 1916 for his column and they went through 1933 i think as i said and he also wrote a lot of other books and stories and all kinds of things. But this is the one, I think, that earns him fame. One other thing that he wrote that ended up, it was a play that became a book, is called Old, The Old Soak, S-O-A-K, The Old Soak. Maybe a drinker? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet. I got it from the library. I haven't gotten it yet. Maybe we'll have a little addendum at the end of the podcast. If I look at it, I'll tell you briefly what it's all about. But anyway, the play was a huge hit. And he made a ton of money. He made a lot of money. Wow. Back then, you could make a lot of money on plays. I mean, there's no TV, right? Yeah. Anyway, and then he lost it all. He did another play. I think it was called The Crucifixion and lost a ton of money on that. Plus, he drank a lot and, you know, and didn't like working. So right. there you go. <laughs> Even though he was productive because he had to be, I yeah. think, was, was more it. He's kind of a relatable guy. I find and, Archie relatable anyway. <laughs> yeah, Archie. Yeah, the, the, Archie's kind of like a distillation of that That certain part of him right so Archie's not destructive yeah. or self-destructive even though occasionally he will think about 
jumping off a building, but it doesn't work because he's so light. <laughs> he just gently floats down and lands on the sidewalk, right? And then um, uh, Marquis died of a stroke. And then the other um, really, really delightful part of this book that I want to mention are the illustrations. And the illustrations, please go online and look up some illustrations. I think you'll, you'll really, really enjoy them. They were by uh, George Harriman. And anybody who's uh, familiar with old comics knows George Harriman because he was the guy who created and wrote Crazy Cat, and that's with two Ks. And Crazy Cat was super, super popular, very famous in the culture. So Harriman, he was born in New Orleans, and he was of mixed race heritage. They were actually at that time called free people of color. Hmm. So his family was not from slavery, but they were they were free people, or at least his immediate close family. I don't know. Further back, I don't know. But he, um, anyway, he was on his birth certificate. He was listed, this is very interesting to me. He was listed as colored. And then on his death certificate, he was listed as Caucasian. Hmm. So what, basically what happened is he ended up marrying his childhood sweetheart and going out in the world and making his way as a cartoonist. And of all his heritages, he adopted and identified with being white makes sense to me. He was born in 1880 and died in 1944. So he lived all during the period of post-Reconstruction and Jim Crow South. And, you know, things weren't that great in the North for people of color either. So um, I don't know that, that he would have gotten uh, the contracts and the jobs he had if he had yes. broadcast his entire heritage. So, yeah, we looked up some photos of him and he, he looks white passing you know yeah and yeah I don't know if I I, I, I was avoiding call, saying passing just because I was just thinking well he is white and black and he may have even had some Indian in his background and so I mean he can choose what he first I'm concerned mm-hmm. identify however you want you know it's fine with me so mm-hmm. so that's what he did but I politically I can totally understand yeah. why he would have had to do that you know and it would have had to hide part of who he was you know but anyway, he, it sounds like he did end up having a great life, except for that one particular unfortunate thing in society. He was very successful. He started out being a sign painter, and he wrote political cartoons, and then he became really, really known as doing sports cartoons. Hmm. I guess those were a big thing back then. And you have to remember, during this time when his career was taking off, Photographs were not common in newspapers, usually engravings. And if there was a photograph, they often engraved the photograph and printed it because of the the technology. Mm -hmm. Photographs started coming in later, you know, in the 30s and so forth, more. But they still had a lot of drawings in the newspaper. So that's how he made his living. He ended up getting into the Hearst newspaper. And if you want to read about him on Wikipedia, there's, you know, ups and downs in his career. But ultimately, he was valued enough that William Randolph Hearst, who owned all the Hearst newspapers, offered him a lifetime contract so he never had to worry about money wow yeah that's pretty amazing even even when crazy cat became less successful and uh he never he had that lifetime contract which is that's pretty sweet that's for a great deal of luck but he also had some sadness again his wife who was his childhood sweetheart and he had um i think he had two children and his wife and his daughter died in an auto accident no i know god so sad. It's like life was so dangerous back then. <laughs> no, it seems that way, at least with these people. Um, and uh, But yet he was, at, at his death, he was lauded by so many friends. And he had friends, black and white. Everyone really liked him and and um, appreciated him. And he apparently he was a really nice guy. Um, did a lot of philanthropy, but he, he did it anonymously. And <laughs> this speaks well 
to in my mind for him he had five dogs and 13 cats wow (laughs) jeez (laughs) not but the cat lady he's a cat gentleman and uh he um he but his real claim to fame is the crazy cat comic that started uh went from 1913 to 1944 that's long running 31 years and it was uh and then when he died a lot of times when cartoonists die in these strips, they'll get somebody else will take it over, like carried on. Because no one could do what he did. No one could hmm. draw in his style. I mean, they just couldn't do what he did. So they ended the the cartoon. You can get collections of them. They're I don't know. They're old. I mean, if you're interested in old timey stuff, I think the humor, the situations, and things are kind of interesting. I mean, his style is very unique, and it's very kind of scratchy. Maybe, um, I well, like it a lot. It works perfectly with Ar- Archie and Mahitable. But the Crazy Cat comics, like, we read them, and I was like, I don't really get it, yeah. you know? They're not ha-ha funny to me. But uh, the, the main thing that, and I remember when I was a kid, I think they were rerunning them in the newspaper, because I remember seeing them in the, in the newspaper when I was a kid, and I was not born in 1944, before <laughs> 1944, so, no. But... Um, I never understood them. I didn't get them. It was weird to me because they're weird. They're, they're surreal. There's basically a crazy cat is a, is a black cat. Um, with, always wears a scarf. And Ignatz is a, is a white mouse. Um, I don't know. I, I think they're black and white even when the, the strip was in color because that, that was just their colors. And Ignatz is always throwing bricks at people, especially at crazy. And, and cr- at cops. And at cops. And Well, there's, there's uh, uh, Bullpup. Bullpup is one of the... Something like that. Yeah. Is one of the, the characters is the, the, the cop with a K. Ignatz is always getting arrested by the cop for throwing bricks at people. And, but, and then he's always getting away to throw bricks. And he throws bricks at Crazy um, and will hit, hit him in the head. And then Crazy will fall over stiff. And all these hearts will be coming out of Crazy's uh, heart and head and everything. Because Crazy's kind of in love with Ignatz when Ignatz does that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Crazy takes it as a sign of love. Oh, weird. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's totally weird. And one one of the interesting things about this this cartoon is that Crazy is androgynous because sometimes uh, Harriman will refer to her and sometimes to him. Hmm. So Crazy would be queer and androgynous even by our terminology today and i this kind of left crazy very undefined and also when you listen to when you read crazy's um speech you can tell there's like a real accent there not like a foreign accent but like a patois and things will be spelled particularly in crazy's case um more uh phonetically so like special would would be uh with a sh or you know that kind of thing skeptical would be with a k which it is. Wait. Well, not the first, not 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 the first one. So anyway, it really creates kind of an interesting character. That's George Harriman, and uh, so they worked together. I don't know exactly how they worked together, but he did some great illustrations. Really charming, really cute, really fun. Skeptical is spelled with both a K and a T. So we're both okay. All right. Well, in the comic, it would be two Ks. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's fine. I think I just think we should maybe dig into some great quotes here. Yeah, the meat of the episode is just going to be us reading the fun bits to you. Okay, I'm opening the book, and it looks like it originally cost three dollars and fifty cents. And probably at the library sale, it was probably a dollar or two. I, I would imagine it was. Oh, interesting. Here's the history: three fifty, and then clearly it went to a. Uh, used bookstore at some point 
because up in the right-hand corner, written on the flyleaf is two with the line, $2. So it sold it someplace for $2 or it didn't sell and got donated to the library. Right. I don't think this was ever on the library shelf. Probably not. No, it's kind of, it's, it's very old and yellowed and kind of cool. And it's got a dust jacket, so it's not going not gonna to be in the library. Anyway, also on the flyleaf is written, 1962, to the both of us, exclamation mark, Marion. Aw. In beautiful handwriting. Look at the handwriting. Yeah, it really is lovely penmanship and red ink and... Yeah, right. Old style. Old style stuff. Okay. So, where do we want to start? Well, I think where I would like to start is I would just like to read you a little bit of Mahitable uh, when Mahitable is introduced because it's my favorite in the whole book. I'm going to read you just a little excerpt from The Song of Mahitable in Verse Libra. This is the song of Mahitable, of Mahitable the alley cat. As I wrote to you before, boss, Mahitable is a believer in the Pythagorean theory of transmigration of the soul, and she claims that formerly her spirit was incarnated in the body of Cleopatra. That was a long time ago, and one must not be surprised if Mahitable has forgotten some of her more regal manners. And here we have Mahitable's voice. I have had my ups and downs, but what the hell, what the hell? Yesterday, scepters and crowns, fried oysters and velvet gowns, and today I heard with bums, but what the hell, what the hell? I wake the world from sleep as I caper and sing and leap. When I sing my wild, free tune, what the hell, what the hell? Under the blear-eyed moon, I am pelted with cast-off shoon. But what the hell? What the hell? Do you think I would change my present freedom to range for a castle or moated grange? What the hell? What the hell? Cage me and I'd go frantic. My life is so romantic, capricious and corribantic, and I am toujours gay. Toujours gay. So I do want to point out that what the hell is spelled one word. W-O-T-T-H-E-H-E-L-L. What? What the hell? 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 Very, like, it says a lot. It's like it's this sort of low-class, carefree. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> totally carefree. I love it. And and, and in, insouciant. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, so that is uh, um, a, a little introduction to Mahitable. Uh, is there something that you wanted to read here? Um, yes, I highlighted more of the sort of uh, political commentary, yeah, yeah, economic yeah, yeah. topical stuff. So there's a lot of different things that happen, but um, here's a passage. So, so this column was written during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, when spanned Prohibition. So there's quite a bit of commentary about drinking and stuff. Prohibition and the Depression right. and the New Deal. Right. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all in there. Um, so this one is from a poem where Archie goes to a museum and he's having a conversation with a mummy in a sarcophagus. And they keep calling each other names that I think are pretty funny. Like um, uh, like Archie calls the, the mummy the royal crackling and because he's so dried out. And imperial pretzel, imperial fritter, <laughs> stuff like that. What country is this? Asks the poor prune. My reverend juicelessness, this is a beerless country, says I. Well, well, said the royal desiccation. 
My political opponents back home always maintained that I would wind up in hell, and it seems they had the right dope. And then the mummy just dissolves into dust and, and, and flies away in the wind. Oh, and there's really a very funny illustration here where you see a picture of the mummy in the sarcophagus, and then coming out of him is a thought bubble with a big stein of foaming beer with five cents written on yeah. it. <laughs> and then there, there are things in it, too, that are quite poetical in that they don't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> they're very imagistic. Yeah. But I, I, they're very sort of just pure welling of emotion of, and a bunch of nouns yeah, strung together. Yeah, but the, but but they're evocative in a way of, of a feeling of, of particularly whimsy, whimsical uh, qualities. So, And this is political as well. But one of Archie's big themes is that the insects are going to revolt against humanity's cruelty to them and going to take over. <laughs> and so what, I, what I'm reading from now is called The Return of Archie. My myrmidons are trivial things, and they have always ruled the world, and now they shall strike down mankind. I shall show you how a solar system pivots on the nubbin of a flagellate bean. I shall show you how a blood clot moving in a desperate's brain flung a hundred million men to death and disease and plunged a planet into woe. He likes to be pretentious sometimes. Well, Port- he's a... Portentious. He is a poet. <laughs> Don't you know it? <laughs> yeah, we love that line so much. Pivot on the the nubbin of a flagella bean. <laughs> so funny. I mean, what, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, but it's funny. Yeah. Especially when you use the word nubbin. Yeah. Nubbin and niblet are my two current favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> There's some good language that we got out of this book that we've been trying to incorporate, um, including the exclamation, Oh, nerds. Yeah. Uh, I know. That's a good one. <laughs> and the uh, deprecatory term gink, yeah. which we looked up and it doesn't have any like racist etymology or anything. Yeah. So gink just means a, a jerk, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. probably what they might say call in England a git. Yeah. Somebody's a git. Anyway, I love that a lot. Oh, I'll just turn it over to you. Uh, I'll just take you through all the passages I marked that are about like labor disputes. And, <laughs> There's and a lot about the labor crimes here. of capitalism and stuff. So he has good he's good politics, as we would say in this house. <laughs> when does Archie uh, go on? One point, Archie goes on strike. That's right. Yeah, he um he has growing discontent because he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he didn't get paid anything. Get paid for his labor, and the boss stops leaving sandwiches in the trash can, <laughs> yeah. and so he goes on strike and. And there's this whole back and forth where they publish, like, quote-unquote letters from the fans that are either up for or against Archie, and Archie pickets with an army of cockroaches, and they try to bring in some scab cockroaches, and they get beat up by the picket line. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Here's an excerpt. We ought all to be grateful in this country that our Wall Street robber barons and crooked international bankers are such highly respectable citizens and do so much for the churches and for charity and support such noble institutions and foundations for the welfare of mankind and are such spiritually minded philanthropists. It would be horrid to be robbed by the wrong kind of people. If I were a man, I would not let a cannibal eat me unless he showed me a letter certifying to his character from the pastor of his church. Even our industrial murders in this country are usually affiliated with political parties devoted to the uplift and enlightenment and the progress of mankind. So I just agree with that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
And then he's, yeah, there's some like pretty good satirical stories. There's two that are kind of similar. They're conversations overheard by Archie between two men, but I thought they were both really funny. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read them. This one's called Two Comrades. I was walking in the park the other day when I heard a couple of fellows on a bench exchanging ideas. The government says, number one, ought to have these parks air-cooled in summer. Yes, and heat them in winter, says number two. How much longer, says number one, are we going to stand for this tyranny and oppression? No wonder communism is growing. They paid some friends of mine not to raise pigs or potatoes, said number two. Now I am off relief, and they've got to pay me not to raise hell. That sounds good, said the other one. Why couldn't we organize a racket along those lines? Pony up the jack, or we will become communists. Suppose we give it a good patriotic name, like the Defenders of the Constitution or something. (laughs) I see by the papers that they are going to spend millions for more new roads. Who the hell wants more new auto roads, said his friend. There are roads enough now. What the poor man needs is more automobiles to ride on them. (laughs) And the government ought to give them to us, and the gasoline too. I refuse to help build roads unless the government gives me a car to use on them. They ought to give us chauffeurs too, said the other bum. They gotta give me a car and a chauffeur or else I will turn communist. If we could get paid by Moscow for turning communist and get paid from Washington for not turning communist, it would just exactly suit me. We might weather it through until the good times come again. To hell with the good times, said the other one. Somebody's always shoving a job at you in the good times. (laughs) Well, the other thing that we should mention, another uh, trope that comes back from time to time, is that the, the planet Mars... Mm-hmm. is a big fan of Archie's. Right. Well, actually, all the planets are. <laughs> but he's, but but Archie is often being interviewed by Mars, the planet. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, they'll send him telegrams like, Archie, we're such fans of your work. Can you say? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us this or that or the other? It's That's that's very odd, you know? There was There's another poem in here that's out of the ordinary, and that is called Archie on Amateur Gardens. There are a few like this where they're just little tiny stanzas of pretty nonsensical stuff. Random thoughts, yeah. But it's, but it's really funny. So in this uh, poem, the various plants are uh, speaking and saying various things and says, First onion. I am a disillusioned onion plant. So sad, so sad I am that if one fed me to a maiden ant, A-N-T, she would curl up and die. And here's another, another little sequence. First beet. I have malaria, croup, and bots. Second beat, I have such leprous-looking spots. Third beat, I was a beat of promise as a young beat, but now I have the mournful feeling that neither root nor top nor peeling will ever be fit to eat. <laughs> so it just, it's just it's weird. <laughs> this is really weird stuff. Just some really, really strange, different little things in here. But yeah, so I think the most heart touching part of the book somehow is Mahitable. She's really like the heart and the essence of everything here. There's something about her. She never changes. Her relentless like irresponsibility and everything and yet like and she's this old alley cat but she's like dancing in the snow and it's kind of moving. It is and and she and the the book really comes to life. It's like we read several pages and go come on when's Mahitable coming back? You know we miss her and she as she says I know that I am bound for a journey down the sound in the midst of a refuse mound. But what the hell? What the hell? Oh, I should worry and fret. Death and I will coquette. There is a dance in the old dame yet. Toujour gay. Toujour gay. gay. I was once an innocent kit. 
What the hell? What the hell? With a ribbon, my neck to fit, and bells tied onto it. Oh, what the hell? What the hell? But a Maltese cat came by with a come-hither look in his eye, and a song that soared to the sky, and what the hell? What the hell? And I followed down the street, the pad of his rhythmical feet. Oh, permit me again to repeat. What the hell? What the hell? My youth I shall never forget, but there is nothing I really regret. What the hell? What the hell? There's a dance in the old dame yet. Tooz your gay, tooz your gay. The things that I had not ought to, I do because I've got to. What the hell? What the hell? And I end with my favorite motto. Tooz your gay, tooz your gay. And then Archie ends the entry with, Boss, sometimes I think that our friend Mehedible is a trifle too gay. <laughs> we don't think so. <laughs> no, we love Mahitable. Anyway, we do recommend this. We think if you just dip into it, you don't even need to read it in order or anything like there's a slight arc, but it really doesn't matter. You can kind of pick it up wherever you want. Yeah. I think, yeah. Anyway, great having another charming. little visit with you. Yes, char- talking about a charming sweet book. With a little dark edges. Yeah. A little political content. All good. <laughs> If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Grand